quite a blessing to see you this morning, Donna. Thank you, John. You bring a great joy to my heart, dear. Turn to the book of Luke once again, if you would. Last week, we considered some scripture in the chapter 4. It was titled, the message, the title of the message was, As His Custom Was. And this morning, that was part 1. This morning, I want to look at this same scripture, part 2 of As His Custom Was. And I've titled this morning's message, Astonished, Yet Filled with Wrath. We consider our Lord's custom in going to a place determined for worship, just as it is for all of God's people to come out of the world, come to the place where God's people meet, and worship our Lord. Folks, I'm not saying you can't. If you've got no place to go, and the only cave is the only place you've got to go to worship the Lord, that's what you've got to do. We know several folks who don't have any place to go and worship God. But this is where God's people come on a normal basis, just like Christ went to the synagogue on the day of Sabbath to do what? To read God's word. That's worshiping God, reading his word in truth, worshiping him in truth and in spirit. We consider the words that our Lord gives us here and how, as his custom was, to gather together with God's people where his gospel should be preached, and our Lord declared scripture was fulfilled in his actions. All that were present were affected and amazed by his gracious words. Look with me, if you would, again at verses 18 through 22 of Luke chapter 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he, our Lord Jesus, closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened upon him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Verse 22. And all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which he proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? Do you think they misunderstood what he said? This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Everybody was looking upon him. The whole congregation had stopped to hear this man speak. They heard every word that he said. Just like those on the mount. Remember the 5,000 that were on the mount? Can you imagine? They didn't have speaker stuff like we have, folks. Every person on that mountain, when the Lord preached, blessed be the meat, blessed be. Every person heard every word our Lord spake. Do you think they misunderstood him? They understood exactly. That's why they asked the question. Is not this Joseph's son? 
Is that not who just said that? Those very words? Wait a minute. I've watched him grow up. I remember when he was born back in Bethlehem and there was all this fuss about a star. I, I remember the day they came to Jerusalem to, to worship and his parents left and he stuck around and hung out with us for a bit. I watched this guy grow up. Think about these elders of the congregation. Who is this man? Isn't that Joseph's son? Who is he that claims to be God? Who does he think he is declaring himself to be the fulfillment of Holy Scripture? Is this not Joseph's son? Where did he study? Where did he study? He didn't study with any of us here in the synagogue. He wasn't with any of these, these teachers that we have, these scribes that we have. What a picture of the religious world where are your credentials? Where did you go to school, John? I went to school right here. I sat under the preaching of God's word for almost 20 years, 18. But that's not where I was schooled. Where I was schooled, where all of God's children are schooled, are in the works of grace in our hearts. Ye must be taught of God. That's the scripture. That's what it says. You must be taught of God. You must be taught of him of what grace means to you. The world, all, they all know about this word grace, folks. They're, they're not foolish. They're not fools. They're not ignorant. They know what the word sovereignty means. But if they've not experienced it, they have no idea what God's word means in those areas. Who is this man? Who is this man who declares himself to be the fulfillment of God's word? Man will use whatever they can to discredit the truths of God's word, even taking it out of context or purposefully misinterpreting it, misinterpreting the things because they don't fit to their narrative. Our false sense of self-worth is threatened by the sovereignty of God. That's just the way it is, folks. If you haven't been made low, Christ is not your highest point. You must be made low. What is it our Lord had preached? Well, let's start again back here at verse 18. What is it he preached? First thing he preached is the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Remember when he came out of the waters after being baptized by John the Baptist? What was it? What was it everybody saw? Everybody saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove with flaming wings, landing on his shoulders. The Spirit of God was upon this one. Christ declared himself to be God Almighty right there. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Now, do you, yeah, I couldn't help as I was reading this and I was thinking about, okay, what am I going to There's a guy on TV. And I know he's still there. Some of you may have heard. I was just scanning through the TV, and all of a sudden, here's this guy. And it turns out he's been there for a long time. And he still preaches this message. I don't know how anybody can be so foolish to fall for this, but he still preaches this message. If you send me a dollar, God will give you ten. <laughs> Is that ridiculous or what? He's preaching the gospel to the poor. You can't feed your own self. You can, all you can afford is food for your animals. But you can't afford for any for yourself. 
Can't go see the doctor. Can't get your teeth fixed. You don't have any money. You're poor. I can tell you how you can get rich. Send me a dollar, he says. And God will bless you. That's not the poor this is talking about. This is talking about the poor in spirit. Are there any people here today with, with a poor spirit? Do you need to hear a gospel? Do you need to hear good news? Here's good news. He hath sent me, says our Lord. This one who has the Spirit of God upon him. Why? Why does he have the Spirit of God upon him? Because he is God in the flesh. He is one with God the Father and one with God the Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons? Absolutely. And I say that every time because I don't want anybody to get a misunderstanding. There are three distinct persons of the Godhead, but all three are of one mind. When you look at Jesus Christ, you see God the Father because they are one mind, one purpose, one will. Paul knew that with every fiber of his being. Why? Because God gave him the knowledge, the faith to believe it. When Paul wrote and he said, I am convinced, I am confident, I am confident that nothing can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus the Lord. Why? Because Christ Jesus is God in the flesh. The Spirit of God is upon him in his job. He was sent to preach the good news to the poor. God had sent him to heal the brokenhearted. That's what the poor is. Those who have a heart that is so broken, I've got nothing to give my God. I've got nothing. I can't come down to the front of the aisle. That's worthless. I can't get in the baptism. That's worthless. I need a Savior. I need one to do it for me. Everything I do is full of sin. Everything you do is full of sin. God will only accept righteousness. And we have none. That's a broken heart. A broken and contrite heart when you know you have absolutely nothing to offer God. He preached the gospel to the poor, those who were brokenhearted. He preached deliverance to the, to the captives. What is that? Those who are captive to sin. Lord, am I still, I, I know sin is in my flesh. Am I still captive to it? No. He says to you and I, I have paid it all. That doesn't mean you're not going to sin. That means that you're not going to be held to the consequences of it. That doesn't mean also you can go out and do whatever you want. People will take that statement and they'll say, you're saying that you can live any way you want to? No, that's not what I'm saying at all. God's people live according to the will of God. Every one of us do. We live according to the will of God because it's God who lives in us. He cut that old stony heart out, the one that said, I will not have this one to rule over me. And he said, you will be my people. I will be your God. Sin no more has no more reign over me. I go out now and try not to. The best I can. But when I fail, and we all will, I have an advocate in heaven. Scripture, that's scriptural. He says, we have an advocate in heaven makes intercession for us right now. I paid for that sin, he says to God. I've already covered that with my blood. My perfect blood was shed for that. 
What else did he preach here? He preached the recovering of the sight of the blind. What were we blind to? We couldn't see the depth of our depravity, could we? I was an okay guy. I hadn't killed anybody. Oh, I've done some things. I sold a few oats. Yeah, I've done some things, but I didn't do what that guy over there did. I was all right. I couldn't see that God chose me and his son before the world began. We looked at that this morning in the book of Romans chapter uh, 9. Two children in the womb of their mother, chosen before they were born. Chosen before they were born. Why? So that election might stand. I couldn't see that the atonement that God gave, the payment that Christ gave of himself in shedding his own blood, was for a certain people. Do you know the world doesn't believe that? I think I shared with you a little bit last weekend, my aunt in Arkansas, she, she believes that Christ died for everybody. Everybody has a right to come and choose God, which takes the blood of Christ and completely washes it under the bridge, makes it worthless. The power of God shed his blood on that cross, and whom he shed it for shall be saved. That's my peace. That's my peace. I was blind to the fact that when God called me, just as he calls every single one of his children, he said, come, and they came. Lazarus, he said, come, and Lazarus came. The disciples, he said, come, and they got up and left their, their, their work immediately and followed him. When he said to John Reeves, come, I don't know why. I do now. I didn't then. But the power of God spoke to the heart, and I came. Has God's power spoke to your heart? Oh, if you know this, you know the joy and the wonder of his grace, don't you? What else could I not see? I couldn't see that, that once I was called into the light, once I was given the revelation of Christ and his salvation for his people, once I was called out of that darkness that I once loved and walked in, that God would never let me go. Never. Why? I shed my blood for you, John. That's worth more than anything to me. You think I'm going to lose anything? You think I'm going to lose anything giving you my son, paying, paying your price for you, the price of death? My mom used to call it the frozen chosen. That's true. Folks, we have been chosen from before the world began. God's word says we were written in the Lamb's book of life before the world was ever created. I love saying this. Do you realize that everything in creation, everything throughout all time, was just so you and I would be right where we are now, called by God to worship him, and we'll worship him for eternity. Our Lord preached the recovery of the sight of the blind to set at liberty them that were bruised and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Folks, today is the day of the Lord. Right now is the acceptable year of the Lord. Hear ye him. Hear ye him. Our Lord Jesus had just preached the salvation for the sick, salvation for the blind, salvation for the poor, salvation for the captive of sin, salvation for the brokenhearted, and men wandered at his gracious words. That's the way the world is. 
Oh, we love a Jesus who saves. Every religion in the world today is for one reason, to satisfy man's guilty conscience. Take that into thought. Every single religion out there is to satisfy the guilty conscience men have about their sin. Gracious words. There is salvation for somebody. There is salvation. Oh, how wonderful. They wondered at his gracious words. Then our Lord clearly declares his sovereignty in this salvation. And this is where things change. Brother Don wrote this. He said, everyone who had heard the Lord Jesus preach was greatly impressed by his preaching. Now listen. As we shall see, they were not impressed with what he preached, but the way he preached it. There's a lot of guys out there who have some real good pump-you-up charisma-type voices, don't they? That guy, Joel Olstein, man, he's, he's got so many people following after what his, his line of stuff. That he, he flies around in multiple jets. They loved what he preached, but the they, they were impressed with what he preached, but with the way, but not, but with the way he preached, not with the way he preached it. What a danger. It says, and all bear witness of him and wandered gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth, and they said, Is this not Joseph, Joseph's son? Take heed, it tells us over in chapter 8, verse 18, Take heed, therefore, how ye hear. Our Lord's given us a warning. And Don closes with this. It says, They heard with pleasure, but not with profit. They nodded their heads, but did not bow their hearts. Look at verses 23 through 27 with me. And he said unto them, remember, this is our Lord. He's just preached these wonderful words, these gracious words of salvation, words that, that bring comfort to each one of their, who, uh, of their guilt, and now he's about to declare his sovereignty. And he said unto them, ye will, or no, I'm sorry, 23. Then he said unto them, ye will surely say unto me this proverb, physician, heal thyself, Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also in thy country. And he said, Verily I said unto you, No prophet is accepted in, our, in his own country, but I tell you of a truth. Many widows were in Israel in the day of Elias, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, when great famine was throughout all the land, but unto none of them was Elias sent, save unto Sepharad a city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. Verse 27, And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elijah and the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, saving Nahum the Syrian. These fine religious folks were expecting the Son of God to entertain them with his wonders, with his miracles. We read over in verse 14, fame, the fame of him. Fame had gone out in all the world, all the area around him, all the land around him of his miracles. And what they got was this. And he said unto them, You will surely say unto me, This proverb, this proverb, Physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also in thy country. And he said, Verily I say unto you, No prophet is accepted in his own country. What? What? We expected you to do some stuff for us here. We've heard these gracious words about how people can be saved. So now, show us. Show us your power. Show us, show us what it is you're claiming. Do a miracle for us. 
you imagine seeing a miracle, a true miracle done? A man's hand all of a sudden become whole that was withered? Could you imagine that? Oh, show us one of those, please. What is this one talking about? Folks, just as the Lord knew what Peter would do in denying him in the day of our Lord's trial, our Lord knew what these men would do in that day also. He prophesies of what they're going to do when he's on that cross, when they will surely say out in this province, Physician, you who claim to heal things, heal yourself. And then over in verses 25 through 27, our Lord Jesus declared these proud Jews to these proud Jews that God Almighty is always sovereign in exercising his mercy, his love, and his grace. Or in other words, he says this, like it is in Romans chapter 9. He says, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. Wait a minute. First you're telling us that you can fulfill the scriptures, and now you're telling us that our salvation is up to you and not to us. That's what the church that's what the churches of the world are saying, isn't it? Wait a minute. That can't be right. The message of divine sovereignty is always too much for the proud. Too much for the self-righteous men and women for them to endure. So much so that they'll even reject it. They love their power. That's what free willism is. When you say that it's your will above God's, when you say that you have the decision over your salvation, when you say that you have the right to come down and accept God's word, when you decide you want to do it, then you have exercised your power that you think you have. God says you don't have it. God says you don't have that kind of power. Those who feel that way, they love the power, and the sovereign, sovereignty of God denies their self-worth. Look over verses 28 through 29. And all they, our Lord doesn't mix words, folks, all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him under the brow of the hill whereon their city was built that they might cast him down headlong. What did our master say to enrage these people so? He didn't make fun of them. He didn't belittle them, call them names. All he did was assert that salvation is of the Lord. Our God is totally sovereign in all things. People love to say, oh, I agree with you. Except he's given me the power. That's what, that's what it is in the, in the religious today. He's given me the power. Don't you think God should give us the power? Our Lord is sovereign in all things, and that includes salvation. Men love to say that God is sovereign, and they say, well, I, I have a free will, though. I have the will to choose or to reject God's sovereignty. And they deny God's word. That's what we read over in John. They deny these words that we read in John 6.37. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. They deny that. They deny that God has the power to bring every one of his people to him. 
Over in John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, we read this. But as many as received him, do we receive Christ? Oh, yes, we do. We are made willing in the day of his power. We are given life who were dead and trespassed into sin. We are quickened. As many as received him. Now listen, here's the whole point of those who received him. To them gave he power to become the sons of God. To them gave he power to become the God, sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. God doesn't need man's permission, folks. If your God needs your permission, then you have no God at all. I ask you this. Did the Lord Jesus Christ wait for Lot? Remember the story of Lot? You know, let's turn over there. Uh, mark your place there, Luke. We'll come back in a minute. Turn over to uh, Genesis chapter 19, if you would. You'll recall the story of Lot when him and his family were in the city of Sodom. And just to go back a little further than that, remember, there was a time when Lot and Abraham were fighting. Their, their, their servants were fighting between each other. And Abraham said, you choose which way you want to go, and I'll go and take the other. And Lot took the part that looked really nice. Oh, there's all kinds of greenery. There's all kinds of rivers. The trees are nice. Oh, this would be a great place for me and my people to live up there on the plains. And Sodom and Gomorrah grew up out of that. Abraham, the oldest who should have had the right to choose where he wanted to go, was left out on the plains, out in the wilderness. So Lot and the cities grew around him, and his land grew, and he prospered. And one day, a couple of angels came to visit Lot in the city of Sodom. And when the men of the city found out, they wanted to have something to do with Lot. They wanted to have something to do with those angels. Messengers of the Lord had come to Sodom, and the men of the city came out to know them, to rape them. They came to Lot's door, and I want to pick up there. They've been knocking at the doors. Send these men out. Look at verse uh, 10, if you would, with me. Genesis 19, chapter 10, or chapter 10, verse, chapter 19, verse 10. But the men put forth their hand and pulled Lot. This is speaking of the angels. They pulled Lot back into the house to them and shut the door. And they smote the men that were at the door of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves to find the door. And the men, the angels, said unto Lot, Hast thou here any besides, son-in-law, and thy sons, and thy daughters, and whatsoever thou hast in the city? Bring them out of this place. Here the angels of the Lord are warning them. The wrath of God is coming. That's what we do. We warn folks that come through this door, those who God has brought through this door, the wrath of God is coming, and we all deserve it. But the grace of God go with some. They're warning. They're warning. Bring them out of this place, for we will destroy, verse 13, this place, because the cry of them is waxing great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Verse 14, And Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, Up, get ye out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. And when the morning arose, 
Then the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters, which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. Now listen to this. I asked the question. I asked you this question. Does God need your permission? Did he need the permission of Lot? And when the morning had, or, and while he yet lingered, and while he lingered, speaking of Lot, the men, the angels, laid hold upon his hand, and upon the hand of his wife, and upon the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto him, and they brought him forth and set him without the city. I ask you again, did Lot, did God need Lot's permission? Folks, the God of Scripture needs nothing from man. God does whatsoever he wills. His purpose cannot be turned by his creation. And no man deserves God's grace. In fact, just the opposite. We deserve his wrath. Look at verses 28 and 29 again. It says, And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. When they had heard that this man was God Almighty, and that he chose for whom he would, that he would elect to save some and leave others to themselves, they raised up and were filled with wrath, so much so that they would willingly take a man and kill him for declaring himself that. And they rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him under the brow of the hill wherein the city was built, and they might cast him down headlong. What was the cause of this rage? Natural man will not bow to the authority of God is what it was. I'll not have this one who says he has authority over me rule me. Man denies the authority of God in our depravity. They say, yes, I am dead and trespasses and sin, yet I can choose whom and will I will serve by my own free will. Listen to the words of Romans chapter 9, verse 16. We looked at this in our Bible. I was going to say to some of you who were here in Bible study, you may not... You may not really realize where Bible study finished and today's message began. It both seem to be almost the same today. It just happens that way sometimes when you're studying for both. It says, So that it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore, Hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hearteneth? That will say then unto me, Why doth he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? And then Paul asked this question, Hath not the power, potter power over the clay of the same lap to make one vessel unto honor and another to dishonor? Who are we to question our maker? We must never forget that the gospel we preach, the gospel we love, is a savor of life to some and to death to others. Our Lord Jesus preached that doctrine which always has, always must, and always will enrage the carnal men of this world. Though the Son of God himself be the preacher, Men could not hear. Look over at Matthew chapter uh, 11 for a minute. Matthew chapter 11. Look at verses 25 and 26. And at that time, 
Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. And at that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed. Our Lord hides. Our Lord reveals his gospel to his people. He reveals it to babes. Verse 26, even so, Father, for it seemed good in thy sight. The sweet gospel doctrine of divine sovereignty is an offense to the lost religious people. It's an offense to men and women whose hearts are enmity against God. Our sovereign God, particularly his sovereignty and the exercise of his saving mercy, stands in glaring opposition to the pride of will-worshipping men, to the pride of idolatrous, free-will, works religionists. The preaching of the gospel always raises a bitter resentment instantly among such rebels. To some, you see, God in the flesh is not enough. Oh, I know, Christ, Christ came and he, he laid down his life and he paid all, of, but there's got to be something I can do. I have to walk straight now. I, I can't, I, I just have to walk straight. I have to do the right things. I have to do this. I have to do that. People call me every once in a while and I'm sorry, John, I couldn't be in church today. Folks, you don't have to be sorry to me for nothing. You're right where God would have you to be. If God wants you here, you will be here. I know. People would ask John, why are you going to church when I first started coming to church? Because I, I don't know. i got to be there. i got to go. i got to hear it. My brothers, there was a death in my brother's family. Where are you going, John? I need to go to church. I need to go here about my Lord. There's a lot of sorrow where I was at. God wanted me in church, and he brought me to church that day. You may not know this. God brought each and every one of you here today to hear his word preached. To some, the blood of Christ is not enough. Oh, I know. Christ is God in the flesh. I know that. I know that. And I know he shed his blood on the cross. But there's got to be something I can do. I've got I to gotta make a decision. His blood is not enough. I need more. You ever heard anybody say that? You know, they come to this church and they hear the same message today as they heard last Sunday. They heard the same message Friday night as you're hearing right now. Those who were able to attend Bible study this morning heard the same message that you're hearing right now. And I've heard people say, that's not enough. It's enough for me. Jesus Christ and him crucified is all I need. Everything else will come along just as he has planned it. To some, the death of Christ is not enough. To some, the resurrection of Christ is not enough. I ask you this morning, are the works of Christ enough for you? If so, then you have rest. A rest that the world cannot see. A perfect rest. We rest in his grace. We have a perfect rest in the precious blood of God Almighty, our Lord Savior and Savior Christ Jesus. We have a perfect rest in his sovereign authority to do as he wishes in all things. 
We have a perfect rest in Him. What grace that God would wish to save me. What grace that God would become flesh to save a wretch like me. What grace that God would hide the sins of my flesh in His perfect, righteous body. What grace that God would send His only begotten Son to die in my stead. What grace that God would see me as righteous as his risen, exalted son. What grace that God would save a wretch like me. Now, last verse, 31. How did our master react to this enraged mob? Those who raged around him. You have family come to you and say, some of you have heard this. Some of you may have not. I had an aunt. She's gone from this world now. Very religious. And I was up at mom's house one day talking about how wonderful a message I heard about the grace of God in saving me, John Rings. And it was all, I was just, I was all about God chose me. He chose me in his son before the world began. That's what the word of God said. I was chosen in God. I was chosen by him. Oh, how thankful I am that God chose me. Because I know that I wouldn't have chosen him. And she pointed in me, pointed her finger at me and poked me in the chest and she said, don't you take my free will away from me. I talked to my pastor. He said, that's a lie. I've never seen that woman get angry like that, ever. Christ, when they got angry at him, look at the example that he gave us. Verses 30 and 31. But he, but he, passing through the midst of them, went his way. That's what I did with my aunt. Her anger raised her up in so much fury. I was so shocked, I turned away and let it be. I told you about my aunt last week. She wouldn't have anything to do with this election part. Okay. I let it be. Christ, let it be. He declared his word and then walked away. We must never look to our labor for the approval of men. Labor with your eyes towards eternity. There is a time to dig and a time to reap, a time to sow and a to seed and a time to gather the harvest, a time to tear down and a time to build, but God alone determines these times. Our business is to serve him with persevering faithfulness. He requires nothing more and nothing less than faithfulness from his servants. And I pray May God in his gracious, in his graciousness, give us that faithfulness that we need for his son's sake. Amen.